All right, everyone, welcome um, I'm back to the first Law and Business Podcast episode we've had in a while <laughs> with our, our my friend, our new uh, co-host, Heather Abyssey. How you doing, Heather? Hey, doing pretty good, Anthony. Good, good. Why don't you tell everybody about yourself since, you know. My name is Heather Abyssey. I am a former prosecutor, now solo practitioner. I practice in criminal law, civil rights litigation, and a little bit of general practice of whatever walked in the door. Um, I specialize in legal writing, so uh, I've done a lot of contract work, done a lot of contract negotiation, um, and I also have a master's degree in psych. So I love to add in the fact of why do people do what they do when you add that into legal practice. It works out pretty well in predicting juries and other behavior. So I like doing consulting as well. So. You, you know, us lawyers, we're strange, we're strange people, aren't we? Oh, we're definitely odd. Um, it's a whole <laughs> special level of dysfunction and a whole special <laughs> level of training in being dysfunctional. Um, biggest recommendation to anyone going to law school is just remember not to take any of that home, throw it right out the window and try to act like a normal human being as much as you can after being brutalized <laughs> in the training we undergo. <laughs> I um I can't disagree with the word of that. Uh, so, since my practice is is highly focused in intellectual property, I want to talk um I want to talk about a sensitive topic, but one that that I do get phone calls about um and and uh, and that's revenge porn. And when somebody calls my office, I try to be very very sensitive with them. Um, I don't quite have the psychological training that you do, but I try to be, uh, I try to be very sensitive with them. I try to understand that, that what's been happening is, is traumatic, uh, but, but that there are definitely solutions. But what I find interesting is um, a little bit of a disconnect between New York and how other states define revenge porn. Um, I, I of course handle it from a civil standpoint uh you've you've handled it from 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 the criminal side um so so let's start here here's how i understand it and you can tell me how new york understands and let's start there and then and then we'll talk about the civil civil aspect. yeah i mean i think that's an important thing to talk about is like well what exactly is revenge porn <laughs> because i'm pretty sure if we surveyed people on the street that many many people would have a different understanding of what it is and how it is that it, you know, what's the revenge factor and what right. makes it porn? So, well, sure. So the way I would, the way I would understand revenge porn, right. What makes it porn or pornography is that it's a picture of a naked person because generally revenge porn, I would say, um, is, uh, you know, pictures of a former um, uh, romantic partner uh, meant to um uh, sent to others uh, without consent in order to traumatize uh, the person that's in the picture, and uh, that 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 that's how I would define it in my head. Uh, it's pornographic because obviously it's naked. The person is naked, and and there's some kind of purient uh, interest in it, at least originally, um, as well. How am I doing? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's in a nutshell. I mean, the idea is is that it's for the purpose of humiliating. And getting back at, you know, a romantic partner, it can be a photograph, it can be a video. Um, and one of the things that is defined differently state by state by state is whether or not it constitutes just a civil wrong or a crime. 
And there have been, um, especially I believe it's in California, actual revenge porn statutes. Yes, California um, does and, have one. And I think that that's one of the things that New York is really lacking because in New York, you're only going to run afoul of a, you know, sort of unlawful videotaping or unlawful photographing if the person does not consent to it. When you have consented to it and you have then disseminated it to a person, then suddenly it goes outside the realm of being a crime. Even if you were just sending it to your intimate partner for the purpose of sharing it with your intimate partner, once you lose control of that, it what they do with it is what they do with it. And so New York hasn't taken that affirmative step to make a revenge porn statute. And that's something, you know, people can write to their legislatures about um, because it's not something easily remedied. You could do something in good faith and then you have a falling out with your partner. And the next thing you know, you're, you know, on some sort of, you know, porn hub site and unbeknownst to you, you know, that a coworker walks in and said, hey, I saw your video. And, you right. know, then what do you do? They're going to come knocking on your door, Anthony. <laughs> right. So, so just to, just to touch base, I'm, I'm reading, but California calls it the non-consensual por pornography law. And it is specific about um, using an electronic communication device like a cell phone or computer uh, to distribute or send, uh, you know, porno pornographic material that will have a likely effect on the, the subject uh, with the intent, uh, right, as you, as you said earlier, uh, Heather, to, to humiliate or embarrass. Um, and, and really, um, that's going to be, uh, that, that's going to be the key in, in there is that, that embarrassment. Um, and so here's think, one of the things that's important too. And this is something that people have ended up in problems with is that sometimes the information is shared and the person has, let's say, redacted or blurred the person's face, but still shared it. And so then it's, are they having the intent to humiliate you? And, you know, if you have a lot of identifying features, whether it be tattoos or the background or where it is, if you can be identified, well, then maybe you can. But that's something that people end up in trouble with, too, is that people try to avoid litigation by blurring out the person's face and thinking that that's going to get them outside of the realm of liability. And the the issue is, is that it could. Um, it also could not. And it's going to depend on the facts of the specific case and where it was shared and, um, you know, how identifiable the person remains. Right. That's going to be one defense, if I understand it right on the criminal side, is that uh, the person is not identifiable in the photograph. Mm hmm. Exactly. And uh, you may know you, but will everybody else know you? Yeah. <laughs> that's that. No, that's a very good point. Or, or how right. How many people, you know, would able to be be able to point you out if I don't know. It's, exactly. It's if your face is blurred out, would they still be able to tell it's you? Even if it's just dark. Exactly. Um, California's statute, by the way, is um, not just criminal. It's also civil. So um, the victim could file a lawsuit um, in California and ask for uh, damages such as attorney's fees, as well as some kind of punitive damages um as as well but uh... that's such a good point because this is something that a lot of people come to me and they want to sue somebody mm -hmm. and um you know they don't realize that the conduct is also a crime in a lot of instances and um one of the things is is that 
pursuing something as a crime has an incredible benefit in New York. I don't know whether this is the case in every state, but I'm a lawyer in New York, so that's what I'll speak to. In New York State, a criminal order of restitution, which is getting money back that you lost as a result of a crime, um, that criminal order of restitution makes you a first-in-time creditor. So they may have liens on their house, they may have a loan on their car, but if you get a criminal order of restitution and then you file it with the clerk's office, that judgment becomes makes you a first-in-time creditor and you jump everybody to the front of the line in getting paid. So that's an important benefit to filing criminal charges as opposed to a lawsuit when that remedy is available to you. And um, it's something that a lot of times people will come back to me and they said, oh, well, the police says it's a civil matter. Well, it may be a civil matter in certain instances, but it also may be a criminal matter. And just because they didn't want to take the complaint doesn't mean that it isn't a criminal matter. No, I, I understand that completely. And that's actually um, that's actually a good, um, you know, really good thought considering I actually do have a copyright case right now where the defendant had filed bankruptcy and uh, you know so the case gets transferred from federal district court to federal bankruptcy court however um entities like the federal government <laughs> the state government <laughs> um you know so so obviously this defendant owed a lot of money in taxes and then of course secured creditors and and I was surprised at how many secured creditors there are go in line long before you as a plaintiff in a lawsuit where the judgment isn't even isn't even um, entered, even though it's there. Um, I, I, I mean, you are dead, dead back of the line. Exactly. Exactly. And so that becomes a real problem. And also figuring out, you know, because sometimes what happens is these videos are published um, as an entity because people try to shield themselves. So they right. have their quote unquote production company, which really just amounts to a compilation of X videos. I, um, I, get, that, those, I get those phone calls too. And so that's another issue is that what they'll do is they will dissolve that company for the purposes of, you know, avoiding liability, declare bankruptcy, and then, you know, just say, hey, sorry, I can't pay you. And that's something else to think about is like, okay, well, if it's just the same one guy who just keeps creating and dissolving and creating and dissolving entities, then there's really no difference between the entities. Right. And, you know, you can sort of pierce the corporate veil, for lack of a better word. You prove to the court that this entity no, is no, the no. same as that legalese. entity. Go full legalese. It's, a, it's okay to use all your legalese here. <laughs> Perfectly fine. <laughs> but I mean, that's the reality is that you you can you can prove this. And one of the things that people don't realize is that the U.S. trustee has an obligation to make sure that bankruptcies are not fraudulent. And so a lot of people get those letters in the mail that they've been listed as, you know, a creditor, you know, on a bankruptcy and then they don't know what to do. And so the thing is, is that the most important thing that you can do, number one, is to follow the instructions and answer it. <laughs> but beyond that, you're allowed to provide the U.S. trustee with information. And so in the event that something like this happens, and this is why the bankruptcy is being declared, is to avoid a judgment you secured, mm -hmm. you can absolutely provide the U.S. trustee with evidence of fraud. And um, 
I myself have even, you know, on obviously not with revenge porn, thankfully, knock on wood, have been able to avoid, um, you know, having someone discharge a debt that they owed me in bankruptcy by proving it was fraud. And um, it's actually easier than you think. It's a lower standard. And U.S. trustees are grateful for it because it prevents a subsequent litigation down the line if they get it right in the first instance. Sure, sure. And I actually once had a client who did make a fraudulent conveyance of a trademark in the middle of a bankruptcy proceeding. Um, and it was before, you know, I had represented the client and um, you, you, you get to lose that trademark mm-hmm. <laughs> even in a, you know, once, uh, once, um, uh, once a potential plaintiff came around in order to um, sue for infringement and realized that the previous entity did a conveyance to the new entity, uh, they're like, yeah, yeah, this is fraudulent, and 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 basically the bankrupt went back to the bankruptcy court, and the bankruptcy court ordered the transfer, and that was just for a trademark. Exactly, and so you start talking about money, and it gets a lot worse. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, getting back to this original thought, so copyright law helps victims of revenge porn, and. I'm not the only one to talk about this. Uh, I'm not the only one that has it on his website, but it's not still isn't something that that is used all that often. I think because I think because victims might be afraid to talk about federal court versus state court. I think uh, a lot of them don't even think that it's a copyright. You know what I mean? Of, when you're making, victims, you know, a video yeah. for your boyfriend, you're not thinking of like, well, I need to secure my copyright <laughs> rights. Let me call Anthony Verna. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I know Pornhub doesn't doesn't talk about stuff like that, right? Uh, but but in all seriousness, um, it is an image that is created by somebody. So the person that's created by whether it's an image or a video, um, generally in this situation is the victim. So you have an image uh, that falls statutorily under the Copyright Act. So if if this happens, what we do is we file the copyright. We need to file a uh, an expedited uh, application, which does cost a lot more money, and and that's just because that's the fees that the government has has. What set are up. the ballparks? Uh, it, it it winds up being like nine hundred dollars because it's it's eight hundred for the ex- expedited, it's uh, sixty five dollars um, for the regular application. So it turns to, to secure the copyright. Do you need to send a picture of the picture you're copywriting? Yes. So basically, you got to send your porn to the government. Yes. <laughs> now, <laughs> just now, just asking Anthony. I'm here for the tough questions. I know. Now now I I I I did a talk to a group where, where they they raised their hands and they say, wait, we, we send our pictures. And I said yes. And then they all said yes. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like like a middle finger to the government. Like, yes, you allow us to register, you know, our pornography. Well, you know, it is it is under the copyright act it is photographs it is videos so it is it is it falls under copyright law i wonder um, who that guy is who receives those applications yeah who re- <laughs> <laughs> can we bring him on <laughs> so um so yeah i and and maybe i, I would say that i think a lot of victims of, of revenge porn wind up of course they're traumatized so, so i can understand like why they would be hesitant for this particular step but but yes you do need to send the photograph or video in in order to do it that said um i mean look once once a, a you know 
and and look, we 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 know men can be can be especially evil. Not that I want to you know go bashing my gender, but um, once one copy goes out to someone's friends, we know that it it can get exponentially big. Therefore, one infringement can lead to many other infringements. Yes, and, and therefore you could talk about the statutory damages under copyright law. And I don't think that there's a judge sitting on the bench that wouldn't say, this is the special kind of case where it's impossible to calculate the damages because of the trauma, because of the emotion. And because once it leaves your boyfriend's cell phone and he said, Hey, look at this whore that I was dating or something to that effect. I mean, I mean, there is that harm. There is that punishment. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's no way to scrub the internet really. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's like, there are, you know, these grab sites that will keep things online forever, you know, and yes. you could write to, you know, the various places and, you know, they may or may not do anything about it. Correct. Correct. Um, And, and you know, by the way, you know, if this falls under the New York state law, and I know you said the New York state law is, is very limiting because of that consent issue. But if this does fall under the New York state law, um, New York state law does allow you to force to get a court order to, um, to, to remove it. But I mean, that's yes, true. I mean, and, and that's the, and thing that's true under that the copyright act. I always recommend that people report things to the police report things to the DA's office, you know, how your specific jurisdiction is structured. You go to the place that has some place for special victims. So if you're lucky enough to live in New York City and they have an entire section of the police department devoted to the special victims unit, they have specially forensically trained officers, then by all means, just go to the police. But if you live in a small jurisdiction where your local police center, you know, you're just going to be talking to Bob who, you know, you see on foot patrol from time to time, like then call your DA's office and ask to speak to the victim's rights coordinator because they will get the appropriate, you know, officers involved or even a DA investigator involved because it's most important that you're speaking to someone who's trained in dealing with a special victim. You're not supposed to go and get more traumatized because the person doesn't have training in dealing with that area. So, you know, those are two different methodologies. And the thing is, is that don't take it to heart if it isn't a crime. You know, the laws are written by, you know, old white men, you know, who don't think about these things, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, um, you know, if we had a mass ration of dick pics being sent in revenge porn, I think suddenly there would be a new, re you know, refound interest, but that, <laughs> you know, women don't want to get them anyway. So <laughs> they're certainly not sharing them. Um, of course I speak for myself. I can't speak for everyone else, but, um, not my kink in any event. The thing is, is that don't, think that just because they said it isn't a crime that it isn't a wrong as you said you can pursue it civilly you can go into that new york state hasn't caught up with the technology they're only just getting into areas of harassment online and when it happens online it's like okay well is it it's where the victim resides well where was the victim you know right. it, there's all sorts of nuances and you just can't take it personally you've got to understand that the laws are antiquated and you just get your pound of flesh wherever you can get it. No, I I, I completely agree. And also, it's a way to to gather your you know in a situation like that, it's a way to at least have evidence written down. It's a way to at least gather evidence. So even if it's not a crime, and and you need to pursue a civil suit, 
it's it's there. At least you could sit there and say, I went to the police. It happened here. It happened here. I know that, you know, I got I got texts from, you know, these 10 people. And it's not just text from your phone. It's it's the ability to at least have that story presented in, you know, in somebody else's safekeeping, in the police's safekeeping, I hope. And what they say in conjunction with the dissemination of the video can sometimes change the analysis too, you know, because if they're saying things that are, and they're doing it in such a way that it's meant to get back to you, it can be a form of aggravated harassment, you right. know, if, if, so it's, if they're, let's say they posted it, but then they're sending you things about it and they're saying things about it, then you, you end up maybe falling under a different uh, different statute in terms of harassment. So you just go and you see, and sometimes what will happen is the police will investigate. And if they investigate and let's say ultimately say it doesn't fall under whatever it's a crime, that criminal file then can be something that you can, your attorney civilly can work with the police to right. get and just they'll have a greater reach because obviously grand jury subpoenas are treated differently than just a regular civil subpoena versus a judicial subpoena. So, you know, it's a way of pooling resources and access. And understood completely. And, and, and I'd like to talk a little bit about, about a call that I received where this was not revenge porn. Um, but, but I still think there could be a wrong here. Um, and, and here, here's, basically what I told this potential client and, and Heather, you could tell me if I said the right thing or not, because the, um, I told her to at least speak to a, uh, an attorney that does uh, personal injury because there might be at least an invasion of privacy. Um, and I don't necessarily know what her mental state was at the time, but I think that, that, um, I think that that's, that's what was more appropriate than pursuing this because effectively what she said was she was, uh, she got into an argument at somebody in a restaurant uh, and that uh, an employee from a restaurant that the employee took some some video and um, that um, uh, the video had, uh, you know, showed maybe her nipple because maybe it came out uh, out of her out of her clothing. And, and because of that, she wanted to pursue of revenge porn uh, because the video then was posted after she had left a review, a negative review of the restaurant. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously I certainly think that, that it lacks um, the definition that California has. Um, I mean, it on co the copyright side, it's completely impossible because she wasn't the one who, who took it. So it, I, you know, yeah, I mean, if somebody's taking a video of you and you're in public and and some maybe some of your clothing falls, I'm not sure that that's the intimate setting that I think um, at least the California statute does does discuss a little. So I I didn't. Yeah, see I mean, I, I think there's no question that's not revenge porn. Right. I mean, at least in the way that it's de defined. I mean, there's no intimate relationship between Correct. the parties. The interest is might be to humiliate the person, but not in a sexual sexualized way. Correct. I mean, it, there's no prurient interest. The fact that you're wearing clothing as such that while you're in public, something slips out. I mean, you're in public. I mean, I, are I you going say, to gouge everyone's was, eyes out who saw you? You know what I mean? It just it. You know, is it nice what someone did? No. Is it expanding the scope of exposure? Yes. Could you possibly have a tort? Maybe. But I mean, at the end of the day, how do you quantify your damages for that? You know what I mean? Right. You're going to end up with 
garden variety emotional distress, you know, which, you know, you got to weigh the cost benefit on that. I mean, what are you really going to end up recouping? You know what I mean? Sure. Um, and I guess I, you know, to the extent that your conduct, you know, you got fired or something for it, maybe you'd have damages there. But at the end of the day, you're involved in a, you know, a mutual dispute, a consent to combat, for lack of a better word, <laughs> you know. And so if you're in an argument and that gets recorded and you have, you know, bad results of the argument, I mean, unless the video makes it per se that you're just being berated unjustifiably. I mean, I just think you're hard pressed to get any sort of major damages out of it. I mean, sure. Is it a, you know, 10 or $15,000 case? Maybe. Maybe right. garden variety, garden right. variety damages. No, I hear, I hear you loudly and clearly that, that, that that's an issue. I, I, I mean, to me, when, when a potential client calls my office and there's revenge porn, I, I, I almost kind of have to handle it with, with kid gloves. I have to say things like, I'm sorry that this happened to you. Um, because she, you know, because the potential client has called me and she's scared. She doesn't know what's next. Um, so, so, and, and that, I will tell you that wasn't the case here at all. She was like, well, I was in my, I, I, I was da, 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 then this happened and then that happened. I'm like, and usually like when somebody's telling a story, it's like, well, wait, if it's revenge, you know, we don't, even before you get to the revenge point, usually the story is, well, and, and there's a long pause. And then that long pause tells you just about everything you need to know after that, because, because that, that, that tells you where the trauma is. I mean, and here's the reality is there's very traumatic things that there is no remedy for, you know, Correct. the law doesn't have a remedy for, you know, every possible wrong. And I mean, lawyers have gotten creative. And fortunately, we think outside the box and we think about ways that we can get around things or, you know, take a principle from one area of law and apply it to another area of law. And, you know, lawyers, by and large, work really, really hard to craft remedies for every wrong but there isn't a remedy for every wrong because for every wrong, in order for it to meet the requisite requirement for there to be a lawsuit, it has to be a wrong and there has to be quantifiable damages. Correct. And, you know, those quantifiable damages have to be such that, you know, it, it passes the, you know, are you BSing me test? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it's like if someone heard this and you were before a jury, would the jury think? wow, why did I serve jury duty to hear this? You know what I mean? Like if, if people are going to hear the story and think you're an idiot for wasting their time, like it's not going to be good for anybody. Right. You, you know, you know, I have a case right now and, and I did something rare, which is I actually did not make a jury request in representing the plaintiff. Uh, and the reason for that is, is it's a breach of contract case. And, and, effectively i that was kind of my thinking my thinking was that either my client got paid or my client didn't get paid because because that's really what it's about it's about the money and the invoices so either i bore you i i bore a jury to death about which payment goes to which invoice <laughs> and 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 chances are they're probably going to sit there and be like oh god this is you know i to me, it was kind of one of those things where I just didn't write, felt as if, even though I'm in federal court, I didn't feel as if a jury should should be hearing this because I know that I would lose. I, I know they'd be lost. 
Yeah. And I mean, that's a hard thing. I mean, you know, I have cases like that, like if you're, you're dealing with services, like a contract for services and, you know, a lot of times people want it to go to a jury. They want a jury to say, look, the jury's going to look at this and they're going to see, see, I did all this work and I didn't get paid. And you know what? Sometimes that's true. Other times they're just annoyed because they wish they were at work or home with their family, you know, <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just a risk. It's it's a real risk. And you got to think about yourself and how annoyed you get just in life on a daily basis. And then you ask yourself, well, how would you feel if you were held hostage watching something that you thought was asinine? And right. so, I mean, that's something to remember, too, is just because it's important to you doesn't mean that everyone else is going to find it important. Right. Right. Meanwhile, I probably would would want a jury on a revenge porn copyright. Oh, for case. sure. Because everyone can relate to that. Every, everyone can agree that there horrible. isn't going to be someone who wouldn't find for my for my for my plaintiff client. No, I mean, honestly, I find I mean, that's a case that if I were defending, you know, unless <laughs> I could prove like, you know, you got the wrong guy. Here's the IP address for some other Joe. Right. You know, but I mean, absent proof like that, that's not a case you want to take to trial because everyone's going to think that your guy's a scumbag. And I mean, it could be a woman, so I'm not going to say it can't be, but <laughs> just looking at the examples. I've never had, I've, look, I have, now, now I know I've, I've, I've only been practicing since 2004, but I, and I've only had my own practice um, since uh, 2009, but, and it's 2022, but anyway, um, I have never had a man call me to say that, that. He was a victim of revenge porn, and I've never had a woman say, "Well, my girlfriend took my pictures and sent them." You know, so I yeah, I just haven't always, encountered it either. Yeah, I've never encountered it. It's always it's always a woman who's the victim, who's dating a man. Always, it's it's. I've never had any other any other situation, and 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 I don't know what that says about the human condition, but I've never had. Never had that. Never had any other. Never had any other situation. Call my office. But Here's anyway. a question for you, and this is, you know, obviously mm -hmm. even more horrific. Um, but that's how my brain works. It goes to worst case scenarios. Well, well, well we're lawyers. We we think of the worst case scenarios. What What about in instances for illegal videos, like things like child porn and things like that? You know, who is is there any provisions in copyright law? for when the person, you know, who was videotaped was, you know, too young to have even consented to videotape, you know, is there any sort of provision that prevents the ownership? Because I mean, and again, I can't imagine, I mean, no one's going to register right on, you know, child porn, I would hope right. not. But let's, let's just say, you know, it, you know, they attempted to or did so in a foreign country, perhaps that allowed it or something. Like, what re remedy or safeguard is there for the families who are trying to prevent dissemination of these things, obviously, apart from the the obvious criminal, you know, criminal sure. construct to it? So so under under traditional intellectual property law, you would probably turn to rights of privacy and publicity. Now, they're generally state laws, but um, but but that's perfectly fine. Um, this the state laws some some now rights of privacy and publicity are weird because and, and here on the podcast we've we've gone we've gone over this but um every state is different as, as you and i've already discussed here 
Um, New York is very explicit on its right of, of privacy. If you're alive, you have the right to protect your name, image, and likeness. Um, and if you've heard that phrase, name, image, and likeness too much, you must be a college football fan. But, <laughs> but, uh, but New Jersey is, is New Jersey is the opposite. New Jersey has no statute. All of it is is judge made uh, laws from the appeal court and from the appeals courts and the, and the Supreme Court of of the state. Um, California um, has a traditional uh, law, which is a, if you're a private citizen and you're alive, they're right to protect your name, image, and likeness. But once you pass away, if you're a celebrity, um, you can be registered uh, so that your name, image, and likeness continues after death. But you, it was, as a private citizen, um, the fact that your name, image, or likeness is copied without consent is enough to be a civil violation. Interesting. Yeah, I once in in New York, once you pass, that right is extinguished. But so for your particular example, we wouldn't be looking towards towards copyright law. We'd be looking towards the the right of the right of privacy. And and once again, I will I will I'll just point out a couple things. If you're a little more curious about that, I do have a blog post about Elvis Presley and and all the intellectual property, which includes his name. Image we don't know he's history. dead, Anthony. I know he's dead, but Tennessee is built around Elvis Presley. <laughs> Listen, it's arguable. Maybe he isn't dead. <laughs> yeah, he's in Argentina. Uh, <laughs> and um, um, I do have an earlier podcast episode uh, with a colleague from Australia where we talk about uh, Crocodile Dundee and how Australia's name, image, and uh, likeness uh, rules um, are all judge made because of uh, Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee, and um, people started making commercials um, that that kind of mocked him, and he didn't like that. <laughs> so, but Australia has no statutes at all on name, image, likeness rights. So, so we we do have some fun comparisons. Uh, That's the Paul Hogan law. <laughs> That's not a knife. Uh, <laughs> um all right so look let's not uh let's not uh, keep our listeners any longer um thank you all for listening to our relaunch we're going to keep doing this uh and and we've got more episodes planned and we'll speak to you very very soon heather how can people find you you can reach me on my website www.abyssylaw.com or my email heather at abyssylaw.com Thanks, Heather. We'll uh, we'll be talking to you again very soon. Take care.